Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Bethnal Green service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you, lovely. Good evening, everyone. Gorgeous to see you. Gorgeous to be here. Um, If we have not met yet, I'm normally at the central service, um, so it really is a treat when I get to be here. Um, I am going to start off listing a few things. I feel very far away. Listing a few things (laughs) while I move um, that we as human beings can be afraid of. Okay, you might own some of these. I don't know. Arachnophobia is a fear of? Yes. Anyone have that? Yes. Yes. Okay. I haven't got pictures, so don't worry. (laughs) There will be nothing to see. Linonophobia. Does anyone know what linonophobia is a fear of? A fear of string. Nomophobia. Fear of money? No. Fear of not having money? No. A fear of, not a fear of gnomes, but great guess. (laughs) I'm loving all the guesses. A fear of having no mobile phone signal and therefore not being able to use your mobile phone. Okay, I'm going to read this one. Iraqi booty rephobia. Iraqi booty rephobia. A fear of having peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. There you go, my friends. Last one. Omphalophobia. Omphalophobia. A fear of the navel. Fear of the navel. Now, I didn't read that list to make fun of the list. I know there are all sorts of things we may find ourselves afraid of. I have a friend who is afraid of the stickers you get on fruit. And I'm sure at some point we have all had FOMO, a fear of missing out. But I simply read that list to say there are many things that we can be afraid of. Some that are easy to define, such as these on the list, even if they are maybe more of the obscure ones. But I am sure we have also known fear that is less, is more hidden. It is not quite as easy to put our finger on and yet can be very overwhelming. Fear is when we sense or perceive threat. Is it emotion or a feeling? And there can be healthy fear. Fear that helps us to gauge risk and make good decisions. But fearfulness, which in essence is a lack, a lack of peace, is another thing altogether. And as Loz says, we are about to begin a new series on peace. For the next few months, peace is going to be our thing. We are going to give our hearts and our attentions to the power and the beauty and the gift that peace is. And in a sense, I say that we are beginning a new series because we are, but it is actually a continuation of who we are as church to recognize this gift that we are given by God. And we're going to look at peace with ourselves, peace with God, peace in our communities, peace between men and women, peace with creation, peace for the future. There are all sorts of things that we are going to be looking at, but we're giving our heart and our times to this because peace is powerful. It is a gift that we have been given to live life. And we recognize the power of it when we also name and recognize the reality of fear in our lives. 
sociologists say that we are living in a culture of fear. And especially at this time in our nation, when we are, um, there are so many decisions being made around Brexit and there is so much fear about what may or may not happen. Such an uncertain future. But fear is not simply a phenomenon of this century. Fear has been around for ages. In the Bible, more than 300 times the phrase, do not fear, is uttered. Fear is a common human experience. And in order to talk about peace, I want to name that and actually take any shame out of it. We don't need to be afraid of fear. Because my guess is if I asked us in this room if we have ever experienced fear, every hand would go up. People who have done amazing things throughout the centuries haven't done it because they were the special few who never knew fear but because they lived beyond their fear. And it may be that we have looked at people and we have made those perceptions. It may be even within church circles that there are some people that we might look at and think, oh, I bet they never feel fear. Natalie Grant, who you may have heard of, is a famous, famous worship leader. And she leads worship around the world. And she said after a moment of fear, she said, I often beat myself up after I felt fearful, thinking my faith should be more giant-like. Tonight, I was reminded that it needs to be more childlike. And our prayer as we go through this series is that we are encouraged again, or for the first time, if this is your first time here, to actually be awakened to the gift of peace and be able to see what the gift of childlike faith is and the wisdom that we are given in the Bible to come against the fear that we may experience. Peace is not the absence of chaos, but the presence of God. It is a gift of God. And part of the vision of this church is to create, do our part in creating good in culture, to renew culture, to celebrate and see beauty in culture where it is already there and also bring it where it isn't. And in order to do that well, we can't do that fearful. And so we're going to start our series today looking at a journey and it was a journey that Jesus made with his disciples. So it was a journey that happened a couple of thousand years ago when Jesus was here on earth. And it is a picture of what fear can look like and also what Jesus teaches us about faith, which leads to peace. And it's recorded by three of Jesus's friends, Mark, Luke, and Matthew. And we're going to read Luke's account in chapter eight. Okay. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him. 
And there is so much that we can pull out of this short story, but there's four things that we're going to look at together this evening. Two things that were said um, by Jesus and two things that were said by his disciples. And the first one is this. Jesus said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus lived his life intentionally. We're told that he lived it with purpose. He did what he sensed the Father was leading him to do, which means that if he said to the disciples, let's set off for the other side of the lake, it was because there was purpose on the other side of the lake. And we're told a few verses later that they were leaving the region of Galilee and they were heading off for Gasserine. Garrisons. <laughs> Garrisons. And we find out in those few verses that there was a man in Garrisons who was possessed by demons and had been ostracized from his community. And Jesus' intention for that day was to bring him to freedom to bring him to life. So when Jesus said, let's set off for the other side of the lake, it was because there was purpose. There was intention. In order to get to that man, they needed to cross the lake. Now, when Jesus did say this to his disciples, there is no indication that they expected a storm. It's simply said, so they got in the boat and they set out. The disciples were following Jesus as they set out for the other side. This is living a life of faith. <laughs> Listening to where we sense Jesus leading us. Following the things that he has spoken. Trusting in him. Following where he leads us. Maybe the thoughts and the ideas that he brings to mind. The people that he has given us to love. The dreams and the visions of a life or a community or a church that we may see the desire of freedom for freedom or healing for our own lives. Sometimes we will need to cross to the other side in order to receive all that he has. Sometimes we may need to leave the shore that we are on so that we join Jesus in the boat and set out for the other side in order to see all that he has for us realized. We may need to make that phone call or have that conversation or confess that wrong, or pray that prayer, whatever getting in the boat for us may look like. Let's go over to the other side, Jesus says. And the disciples had set off, and as they set off, it were told that a squall came down on the lake. Now, this is not a word that we often use. We don't often turn to each other and say, oh, bit of an awful squall today. But it is a particularly violent storm. The storms on the Lake of Galilee could literally come in a moment. And they could come and they would come down the valleys and they would whip up the waves. And this was a bad one. I mentioned earlier that I have been on a few rough waves on a cruise ship in the Med, <laughs> but it was nothing compared to, it was bad enough for me. I thought we were going to, like, that was it. But this was nothing compared to what the disciples had to face. We were told in the verses that they were in great danger. This was actually a storm. This was a bad one. Following Jesus does not mean that we won't experience storms. Following Jesus does not mean that we won't experience storms. Often, traveling towards all that he has for us means that we will encounter storms. It means that they may become quickly, unexpectedly. It may be that they take us off guard. 
It may be that they are opposition to keep us from what God has spoken. Maybe there is no explanation. Maybe they are because of other people's doings. But we will often experience storms. A few years ago, I was um, about to go on a holiday. And it was a holiday that I just sensed um, might be significant. And I would prayed and I was like, God, I want to hear from you this week. I was going to Greece. I want to hear from you this week. <laughs> it's a great place to hear from God. Um, I knew that this particular time, it was about 10 years ago, and I knew that this particular time, it was going to just be beach holiday. So we had plenty of time to read. And I was like, God, I want to, like, I pray that I would hear what you want to say to me. And before we went, for three nights before we went, I had awful nightmares about what was going to happen on this holiday, like really bad, awful nightmares. I woke in the middle of the night so fearful about this holiday, so much so that I nearly cancelled. Um, but I didn't because I just sensed that I should still go. And it was on that holiday that I borrowed a book from a friend of mine who I was there with. And I read this book and I had such a powerful encounter with God through this book, Red Moon Rising, that changed the course of my life to come. And a few years after that, just before I sensed I was to come to London, I'd sensed this was where God was leading me. And again, I had these awful nightmares before I came that made me question whether I had heard God or not, that made me question whether I was setting off in the right direction. And then I thought, hang fire, I've had these before. <laughs> this is not from God. This is fear to keep me from what he has for me. And in the context of life, they may not be the worst storms, but there will be storms that we will face. But don't let the storm take us out. Don't be waylaid by what maybe we may encounter when we are on our way to the other side. Don't remain in the middle of the lake. Don't stay there. There is purpose within and beyond the storm. There is purpose there. There is a greater story being told. And we may not always know the greater purpose. We're not told that Jesus' disciples knew why they were crossing the lake. But they simply trusted the last thing that he has spoken as they got in the boat and set out. A good number of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. They knew this lake. Like they'd been on it before. They would have encountered storms on this lake before. But in this one, <clears throat> you can imagine this was a bad one. And you can imagine the yelling and the screaming. If you have ever been in an actual storm, the roar of the wind and the waves. This wasn't just a little wobbly boat. You can imagine them using the buckets to try and get the boat, the water out of the boat. And Jesus at this point was asleep. And he was probably asleep in the stern of the boat where they stored their fishing nets. He would have felt the storm. He would have known the situation that they were in. He wasn't asleep because he didn't know what was going on. But the disciples went and woke him and they woke him with these words, we're going to drown. I don't imagine they said it to him like that, but they were the words that they uttered. I imagine they yelled them in panic. I imagine that they screamed them over the sound of the waves. Maybe they tried to let Jesus rest a little. Maybe they didn't even realize at this point that he was asleep. But then you can imagine them thinking, where is Jesus? Like, what is he doing? Why is he sleeping? How is he sleeping in this storm? And we're told in Mark's account that they woke Jesus with the words, don't you care that we're going to drown? We're going to drown. <coughs> 
is what they uttered. This was their fear talking. They saw the storm and their fear told them to expect the worst. And that is what fear does. Fear says the worst is going to happen. Fear is faith in the worst. Fear directs our face to the worst, the worst possible outcome and then we begin to live as if it's already happened. Maybe you feel like that. I certainly felt like that with my struggle with fear. All of a sudden, my thoughts can take me to the worst place in a spiral. I imagine the worst of whatever it may be that I am facing. We can get there so quickly, so much so that before the storm drowns us, our fears do. Fear is a very real threat. And I say threat because fear originates from one who we are told in the Bible is the enemy of our souls is the one who comes to steal and to take and to keep us from the other side. The one who comes to take our eyes off the presence of Jesus in the storm. What happens when we let fear do the talking is that it shrinks us. It shrinks our lives. Erwin McManus, who is an author and church leader, says, what we fear sets the boundaries of our freedom. What we fear sets the boundaries of our freedom. If we're afraid of heights, we stay low. If we're afraid of water, we stay dry. If we're afraid of love, we run. Fear wants us to be timid and easily distressed. Fear is tormenting. It provokes suspicion. Fear left to run loose in our lives will literally lead to breakdown of relationships, of communities. It will lead to isolation, missed opportunities, guilt, loneliness, a, lo a loss of hope and joy and peace and love. Fear is a threat to our lives. And if we allow it, it can literally control and steal from us. And the disciples woke Jesus with their fears. They woke and they told him what was going to happen. They spoke from their own perception of the storm. When they could no longer see the other side, when all they could feel was the wind and the waves, they declared, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. Faith remembers the promise and looks to Jesus. Fear looks to the storm. And I think the disciples brought their fears to the best place that they could. Up until this point, they had seen Jesus do many things, but they were just still discovering who he was. And if we are learning who Jesus is, as we are learning who Jesus is, the best place that we can bring our fears is to him. The best place we can bring them is to him. And what happened when the disciples did this? Jesus didn't answer them. He lifted their eyes higher. He lifted their eyes higher than the storm. And he lifted their eyes to see him again. He took their eyes from the storm and refocused them on him to remember him and his words. And in front of their very eyes, with their declaration of fear in his ears, he spoke words of faith. He spoke peace. He spoke peace and we're told the storm subsided and all was calm and then he turned to the disciples and he asked them a question where is your faith where is your faith 
And this is a fundamental life question. And I think it is a question that Jesus would ask us today. Where is your faith? Jesus was in exactly the same storm that the disciples was. He knew what was going on. And he asked them this question. And you know, Jesus loved these guys. They were his friends. He didn't ask them this question to belittle them or to shame them. But he asked them this question because he loved to ask questions, I think, to encourage us to ask questions of our own lives and hearts. To take a chance to ask the questions, where is my heart in this? To ask questions to remind us who he is and who we are. To call us to a more excellent way. To call us to life. Where is your faith? What is really going on here? Jesus was asking the disciples, I told you we were going to the other side. You've told me we're going to drown. Where is your faith? Is your faith in the storm or in my presence? Pay attention to your hearts because what will come out, it will, it will come out in our words. <laughs> we will hear it. Jesus' eyes went on the size or the power or the strength of the storm. Jesus was asking about his friends' friendship with him and faith in him because he knows that what may be a big storm for me may be nothing for you <laughs> and vice versa. It's not about the size of the storm. It's about our hearts. It's about where our faith is. And maybe you're thinking, well, do you know what? I was actually right to be afraid of the worst. Or what did it matter what I thought? Because the worst happened anyway. And my guess is that we have all had the worst of our storms happen. I know I have. The last thing that I wanted or hoped for or prayed for in my storms has happened. The worst has happened. And if we have experienced the worst of the storm, we will have also lived in the aftermath of the pain and the grief and the sorrow that it leaves in its wake. We're living in a world where there will be times when we will experience the worst of the storms. We will because this world is not as it was intended to be. We're told that in the Bible. We're told that when Jesus returns again and makes all things new, in Revelation 21, it says, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. One of the things that the sea was a symbol for in the Bible is chaos and we're also told in this chapter that there will be no more sea. There will be a day when there will be no more chaos or pain or sorrow. But until then, we will encounter the worst of the storms. There will be times when we do. But Jesus's question still stands. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Because our answer to this question will determine how we live our lives. It will determine our understanding of who he is and who we are. It will determine our understanding of peace. I have experienced the worst, but even the worst is not the end when we know the presence of Jesus. When Jesus calmed the storm and then asked the disciples that question, they responded with a question of their own. Who is this? 
Who is this? He commands even the wind and the waves and they obey him. Who is this? It is in the storms that we encounter often, more of who we are and who he is. We're told that they ask this question in fear and amazement. Their fear shifted to its rightful place. Their fear became awe and reverence of who Jesus is. They weren't afraid of Jesus, but they were in awe and amazement at who he is. There was a reverence of who Jesus was. They were no longer fearful of the storm, but of Jesus. Their eyes were on him. And this is where we're made to live. This is where freedom is. This is where life is. This is where peace is. I have known this in my own life, that the fear of God is the only thing more powerful than fear itself. An understanding of who he is. Who is this? We're told in the Bible that the fear of God actually leads to so much life. It leads to blessing and favor and confidence. And specifically, we're told in Psalms 111 and Proverbs 9, that the fear of the Lord, recognizing who God is and who we are, is the beginning of wisdom. A number of years ago, there was a a bunch of friends going from this church to another country. I'm not going to name the country. Um, And we were going out to be with some other friends who were starting a church out there. I was so excited to go. We were all really looking forward to it. And then one day, someone heard where we were going and said, you're going to get carjacked. And those words just planted a seed of fear in my heart. And then I tended that seed and I nurtured it and I watered it. And I thought, we're going to get carjacked. We are, that's it. And I began to watch videos of carjacking. I began to imagine what was going to happen. I began to think, okay, this person's going to say this and then I'm going to say this. I began to imagine where it might happen. I was like, right, I wonder if it'll happen on the first. I was literally falling into fear as I tended this seed of fear that someone else had planted within me, so much so that I eventually went and spoke to a friend and said, I've become so fearful about this. Like, this is a nightmare. And she just looked at me and she was brilliant and she said, stop it. Like, it was the great, the best bit of advice, stop it. She said, just stop it because you can't go fearful because you have to go wise. You can't go fearful because you have to go wise. Wisdom helps us make responses of faith and not fear. It helps us know when there may be times when it is the best time to sleep to rest and be still and to trust, to stop trying to fight the storm on our own, to stop trying to scoop the water out on our own, but to be still and know that he is God. And wisdom also knows when there are times when we might need to stand up and speak to the storm, to pray into it, to speak words of peace where there is chaos, to speak and turn a situation around. Wisdom helps us to know how to make the best responses, to speak peace over our own hearts and our own minds. 
And there's a brilliant few verses in Philippians that I use practically when I am faced with situations. And it is in Philippians 4, 7. And it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. I literally use this sometimes as my pathway to peace. Pray, take it to God, take my fears to him. Be grateful, find the things that I can be grateful for. And then direct my thoughts, not to the worst possible outcome, but literally to things that are good and lovely and admirable and right and think on them and allow them to shape my vision of a situation. Allow them to be what I give my heart and attention to. And then the peace of God, which doesn't give answers to every question that I have, which doesn't explain it all, but surpasses understanding, is better than, is above and beyond understanding, then it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is an act of faith to use the wisdom that we've been given in the Bible. I wonder if the band um, could come back up. I'm going to finish with a really precious verse in Hebrews that says this, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. And the hope that is being spoken of in these verses is Jesus. The words and the promises and the presence of Jesus. His power and his love. We have Jesus as an anchor for our souls. This doesn't mean that the Bible seeks to deny or diminish or belittle the storms that we may face. But it is a hope that enters into and meets us in our storms. An anchor is not a protective wall that is built around a ship so it doesn't feel the storm. An anchor is dropped in the storm so even though the ship will feel the battering and the whipping of the wind and the waves, it is held by its anchor. We don't combat fear with reason. The statistics of this happen in a low, so therefore, I won't be afraid. We combat fear with faith. Whether this happens or not, whatever happens, I will trust. I choose to trust that there is one who knows me and loves me and has promised that he will never leave me. He is where my peace is. His words will speak peace that will calm the waters of my soul. He is the anchor for our souls. I wonder if we can stand. We're going to worship together. We're going to sing. And it may be that you find yourself somewhere in this story. It may be you think, do you know what I have sensed? Maybe Jesus is nudging, leading, prompting, inviting me to the other side, whatever that may look like. And as we worship, you want to take this moment, to, if you want to, to say, I want to choose faith. I want to get into the boat and set out, whatever that may look like. 
And it may be that for some of us, we've set out and we've encountered the storm. And we have actually begun to speak the worst. We have allowed our fear to do the talking. And we need to realign our hearts and our eyes so that we hear again the words and the promises of Jesus. Even if it is not specific direction, his promise is, I will never leave you or forsake you. I know you. His promise is that he did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. The Bible is full of his promises to us. And it may be that as we worship, we want to take this moment to lift our eyes again. Or maybe when Jesus says, hey, where's your faith? Christchurch, London, where's your faith? Where's your faith? We just speak out as we sing. And you say, who is this? God, would you show me again who you are and who I am? And we sing because we sing the story of who God is and who we are. There is a brilliant song that we're not going to sing right now. But for me, it is a power of where It's a picture of the power of worship. And it says this, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise my worship. I lift my worship in the presence of fear. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, my praise is going to roar because death is defeated, the king is alive. This is why we worship to sing over our hearts and over our situations. If you want to respond, you may just do whatever you want, but if you want, sometimes I find it helpful to just put my hands out as a way of saying, God, I want to receive what you have for me. Father, I want to thank you for every heart here this evening. I want to thank you that fear is not from you, but freedom is and peace is. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift that is your peace. You have said that you give us your very own peace, the peace that you live in. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, whether this is the first time that we have heard of this or whether we, you know wherever we are at today, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill this room with your peace, that we would know the presence of your peace, that you would fill our hearts and our lives with the power and the beauty of your peace, that you would awaken us to see where we may have spoken fear and actually you are calling us to a better way to speak faith and to speak peace. And as we sing, we sing of who you are. Would you lift our eyes again and would you minister in the way that only you can, in the way that you do as a good, good father towards your family. God, thank you. Amen.